Okay, hello listeners. Uh, this is Jay Raj again, uh, your host for the Michigan Ross Executive Perspectives podcast. Welcome back to the fifth episode of the Michigan Ross Executive Perspectives, the Middle East series. The traditional definition and perception of leadership has clearly evolved as we emerge out of the COVID era. As we continue to grapple with disruptions to our businesses and our personal lives, we see a shift in the type of leadership needed to navigate the new landscape. COVID has ushered in a new template in a way uh, we should do and we should be following when recruiting our managers and team leaders. So those highly developed soft skills will be the ones that will take our organizations to the future. So this is a very interesting topic that we want to address today, which is not how to deal with the COVID pandemic, but it's more about leadership in a new era as we emerge out of COVID. So we have with us today, Dr. Najib Ben-Khidr, Divisional Senior Vice President of Emirates Skywards at Emirates Airlines, and Professor Lindy Greer, Associate Professor and Faculty Director at Sanger Leadership Center at the University of Michigan, Ross School of Business, to share their valuable insights about the topic of this episode. Najib, let me start with you. First, congratulations on the recent announcement by Emirates that really made us all happy that capacity is now back to almost 70% to pre-COVID times, uh, where the airline industry actually during this period was one of the hardest hit, with many people either permanently losing their jobs or they were sent on unpaid leave. How did you as a leader in your industry communicate with your employees during these difficult times? And how did you manage to maintain their morale at the point where it can sustain the business moving forward? Indeed, uh, Jay, um, as the world went into a recession because of the pandemic, actually, as you said, the airline industry and the travel industry as a whole really witnessed what I would call a black swan event. We're 18 months into the, the crisis. It's not something that just lasted a few weeks, but it's something that now is in, 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 in its second year. We do not expect to fully recover before 2024. As you mentioned, we're ramping up our capacity right now. Our uh, Airbus 380 is back in the air. We're serving more than 100 destinations. However, we're not fully recovered, and it's going to take time. We uh, expect a full recovery by 2024, and even by then, the uh, airline industry would have amassed so much debt uh, that won't be covered by the revenue by 2024. Uh, so it's, it's something really new for us. And, and no business, airline or other, uh, is tool to face a long dent in its fundamentals. But it's very difficult to dampen such an effect on the human capital itself. Uh, we need to stay agile and, and responsive uh, to face this ever-evolving uh, situation. And that means also adapting the workforce to the business needs. What we've done is truly to stay transparent and continuously communicate with our employees. Uh, staff reduction was for us a last resort. We went through a number of other schemes first. We had some decrease in pay. Uh, we put some, uh, some staff on MPD. By the way, you know, the management team has taken even a bigger hit from a pay cut perspective to, to show the way. But we had to resort at some point of time to, to reduce staff. And... Really, the issue we have is that most of our staff are expats, and, and, and the minute that they would lose their job, they would, would have to leave the country, them and their families as well. So we needed to make sure that we applied this with a lot of empathy and consider every single situation and try to help out this departing staff as much as possible, uh, either by extending their visas or extending their health insurance. Anyway, to try to, you know, to, to help them out. So that's really on the, on the departing stuff. But as important and as critical for us was to really 
communicate with the with the stuff that is remaining behind as well and was leaving through a, a lot of anxiety as you as you can imagine uh, one because they, they're seeing close colleagues leaving but two you know they're looking at the business and the uncertainty around it and and wondering whether they're going to be on the on the next wave of stuff that will be reduced so with them what we wanted to make sure we're doing is that we again communicate uh, in all transparency about the situation but also involve them in the solution recovery as well. So we held the number of town halls virtually, as you can imagine, uh, but in some cases following, you know, uh, some of the strict rules here imposed in Dubai, we had even physical town halls in some of the big auditoriums that we have. And the idea for us was to ask, answer questions, but also, uh, you know, ask for solutions as well and get the stuff involved in both designing and implementing some of the solutions. The other thing we've done is we continue to invest in the products and services for us, really to show uh, some degree of optimism around the business. You know, for those who have flown with us, have seen uh, the policies and all the services we put in place, capturing um, you know the, the restrictions around COVID, uh, etc. So we we had we had those products and services enhanced. We wanted also to reassure our members, our uh, customers, but also reassure the the staff. In my view, loyalty, as you know, I, I run the loyalty program here at Emirates, but loyalty is best forged during times like this, uh, where a business is tested not only for its resilience, but also for its empathy and, and compassion as well. So I hope we did a good job. We had the, the team you know, engaged throughout this phase. And hopefully now that we're seeing some glimpse of hope, we're starting to bring back some of the departed employees as well, you know, uh, adapting again the, the workforce and being quick at rehiring as well. Thanks, Najib. I think your answer here really opened up a wide range of possible questions and discussions we can have because you talked about agility in the leadership. And on one hand, it's about basically I can summarize it as empathy towards uh, the employee. And on the other hand, empathy towards the business, which means even when it's down, we continue to invest in new products and services. So I want to take it to Lindy, basically, in in terms of this type of leadership, do you think this is the type that can be applied during uncertain times? Do you see any other type of leaderships that can work based on your research and your experience? And how is it different from leadership from when, when it's applied during normal times? Thanks for that question. It's definitely been an interesting year and a half of coaching companies, coaching leaders, and doing research in this area. Agile leadership has never been more important. If I think about the definition of agility from a leadership perspective or a company perspective, the definition I love to use is the ability to move quickly, to meet external demands, to drive performance. You know, so in a sense, that discussion is very spot on over external demands were such that we needed to show empathy from leadership and from companies. And that is a leadership tool that outside of crises, we we may not need to show on a daily basis or as much. And so the ability of leaders to pull out that tool at the right time and use it, key aspect of agility. That being said, in the last year and a half, there's been a lot of other leadership tools that the crisis has asked of leaders. For example, in the transition from in-person to remote work, we know from the research in remote work that it requires a lot more structure. And so if I think of our Michigan model of leadership, where we try to categorize leadership tools into four different colors, you know, we have yellow, which is compassion, collaboration, showing kindness. So that was definitely one tool you saw. But when we went to remote work, that required a lot of red in our world, the Michigan model, structure and process and data-driven approaches. And so as we went to online work, leaders then had a transition into really focusing on that. 
you know, for some leaders that are much more comfortable with building relationships in person, that also required an agile shift to a much more structured way of working to hold all the pieces together when people went online. Other tools have been resiliency, which for us in Michigan models like green and innovation and creativity of how do you stay resilient as a leader? How do you find new ways of being, new ways of working? And as your team struggles from moment to moment, how do you find the right tool win, which requires a lot of flexibility personally as a leader, but also flexibility being inbuilt to your team as well as to your organization. Additionally, how do you drive performance? You know, when we are all suffering financially as companies, how when people are overworked, they're detached from their colleagues because they're working remotely. How do you still drive performance and finding new ways to inspire, to dream, to encourage people to move forward has also been a tool. And so in working with companies this last year, that's a lot of the work I've been doing is how do you help leaders keep developing their toolkit and to use the crisis as an opportunity to really accelerate growth and to acquire a lot more tools really quickly because you need it and your company needs it. But the investment in those tools will serve in the long run, even after the crisis passes. Thanks, Lindy, because that opens up a nice question in my mind, which is you talk about agility and you went through in details uh, what it means and having the tools and the models to do it. So my question to Najib is, so that brings up the concept of natural born leaders. Is there such a thing as natural born leaders in, in your mind? And it's only natural to them that they can adapt and be agile and manage and maneuver through these difficult changing situations? Or is it something that can be learned and can be applied with tools that are on the job. So on the job training, on the job tools that can really create those kind of uh, leadership uh, styles. First, I would like to say I agree totally with Lindy and that we have really applied the, the playbook that you just mentioned here with the Michigan callers uh, here at Emirates. I mean, the agility, the structure, the importance of that where people you know, are just spread out, working virtually in some cases, the resilience, you know, but again, a focus on performance. I think we focus on our people, but also on focus on our performance. We're running a business and we have to, at the end, make the right decisions, uh, but might make them quickly. And also, you know, be agile in shifting uh, gears uh, if we have to, uh, simply because this situation is, you know, again, unprecedented. And the good thing is we may be experts, you know, all of us in a domain, but this is something we've never faced. And it's only your leadership skills that can help you through a crisis like this. And a lot of the soft skills and that we learn, you know, through, through leadership courses. But to answer your question, Jay, every one of us has uh, some traits of personality that may make it easier to develop, you know, into a transformation leader, for example, or a leader that can lead in, in times of uncertainty. But it's only with experience, truly, that these skills are tested and, I would say, polished. And it's with training uh, that they can be uh, mastered. And exactly going back to what Lindy is talking about, you have a playbook. You understand what are the levers that you can pull as a leader. So it's important to master those that you get a type of training and only a structured training can help out. But uh, training offers this opportunity to really sharpen your, your skills and, and acquire a framework to lead the teams and, and solve uh, complex problems that, like the one that we're facing right now. Uh, I really find, find it myself very useful to be able to develop while actually working as to apply the learnings uh, firsthand to actual on-the-job situations. I encourage my team to either go through self-development or structured development. Again, there's a lot, a, a lot to read about, uh, et cetera. And for them to take whatever they're reading and developing on and, and bring it uh, truly to work, and again, share those best practices with their colleagues as well. I mean, there's so much we can learn uh, through courses. There's so much also we can learn from watching others do and learning from others as well. Now, 
One point I have to say is that the volatility of the situation in this whole uncertain world we're living in today is actually very humbling for even seasoned leaders. We as leaders, and some of us have been really leading teams for a long while, you know, we're still in a learning stage and somewhat, and we're learning every day. We're even learning from our teams. It's okay to be humble and to say, I don't have the, the answer, and we collectively can sit and talk about it. No one can claim that they know it all. Really for me today in this, again, we talk about VUCA world and really the ultimate VUCA world is the one we're living in right now, right? It's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, it's, a, it's ambiguous, if you will. So the best leaders today are people who are open to learn from others, including their teams, as I mentioned, but also the ones that actually build these strong partnerships with others to address complex problems, because nobody really have it on their own. So leaders who are inclusive, leaders who open up to others and work with others and partner with others. I always talk about the power of the network, much more than the individual themselves. So leaders have to be open, uh, have to be able to work with others. And the successful leader of today is somebody who, again, build these solid partnerships and build resilient teams and very diverse teams who can handle these, uh, these type of situations. I don't know if I've answered the, the question, you but did. basically talked a little bit about the, some of the traits. And again, you know, good points that Lindy has made in terms of the structure that, that the training can give and, and the playbook, the framework. Yeah, so basically leadership is not a fixed asset that someone has or doesn't have. It's basically a range. Everyone has it. But with the proper training, they can achieve certain incremental exactly. progress to be able to get to the next level of leadership. To me, I, I totally agree with you in terms of there's no such thing as natural born leader, but there is such a thing as natural born learner. Because if you are a life learner yeah. and you want to continue to improve yourself, there is nothing stopping from reaching that point. But That's you brought right. up a very good point that I want to follow up with you on, which is when you mentioned, for example, the network, the power of the network and opening up the possibility for employees to rise to the challenges. Do you have an example of where someone that wasn't typically labeled as a leader that rose up to the challenge and took leadership? I think that's what goes back to my point about we as leaders even need to learn from our teams and some of them raised to the occasion. I'm, I'm, by the way, a strong believer in empowering people and teams to take on big challenges. You really, um, Jay, you'll be surprised to see how good talented people can raise to the occasion when given the opportunity and the space. So you've got to give them the opportunity, but I have to have them give them the space and totally empower them, make them accountable, but empower them. I think it's, uh, it's very important. And if I look at my team, other than my direct reports, I have a solid bunch of middle managers who are truly keen to take on more and show willingness to lead and be accountable. I think those go hand in hand as well. I think people raise their hands. I want to come. I want to take a big, on a bigger opportunity. I'm more than keen to, to give them that, but also explaining to them that they're also accountable for the results because they're taking on and leading projects, for example, et cetera. And as a leader, myself and my direct report, I, I asked them to act more as coaches to help some of this raw talent prosper above and beyond their line of duty. So we, we do that. We basically don't, again, we delegate somewhat. We let people just take on leadership that don't have leader in their title. And we act more as coaches, myself uh, first, but also my direct uh, reports as well. The same time, you know, this is actually raw talent that we are trying to make it blossom through these opportunities. Our job, again, is to coach, but also to try to correct sometimes the, the course of things by highlighting what are the areas of development for these individuals so they can go and develop themselves and learn more about, about certain things. 
I mean, I just take one example where I've given uh, that empowerment for one of our middle managers uh, to lead on initiatives. That meant uh, that they were actually attending meetings with senior level people from other stakeholders in the organizations. And I've really let them speak. And then I noticed, for example, a lack of assertiveness. So what I've done is made sure that after the meeting, not, not before the meeting, not during the meeting, you know, correcting them, but after the meeting, sitting and coaching them through this and talking to them about assertiveness and how they, they don't have, I mean, if I broke the hierarchy in my organization, they need to feel that hierarchy is also broken, if you will, with the other stakeholders and that it is important for them when they are representing this department that they represented at that level. These are the things that you look for and, and that raw talent can be polished with some coaching and some training. Absolutely. So uh, Lindy, the question here now in this case is more about uh, agility is important and being able to manage that leadership model is critical to navigate the current complexities and landscape. But as we start to emerge into a new type of leadership and new type of models and doing business, what are the new skills that are needed or the qualities that are required as we get into a stable uh, side of the model as we emerge from the pandemic? I mean, I, I would question whether we're ever going to reach a level of stability again. <laughs> I mean, the rate of technology change increases every year, right? And so even as a pandemic goes away, there's going to be other sorts of disruptions to the market. And so I think that this last year has really shown the businesses that thrived versus didn't was dependent on the agility of the leadership and their ability to respond to what's happening in the external environment, be it a pandemic or a shift in technology, a shift in global politics, any of those types of things. And so if I'm looking at the skills that I think matter during the pandemic, but will matter even more after, I think it's going back again to the ability to be adaptive and understanding as an individual how you learn that. I do a lot of work with our leadership center as well as with executive education about how do you help leaders learn how to experiment. One of my colleagues, Dr. Susan Ashford, has a wonderful new book coming out called Flexing. And in that book, she builds on a lot of the research coming out of her own lab as well as our school about the power of daily experiments as a leader. And so if you try out new tools in advance of a crisis, when the crisis hits, you actually have that tool belt ready. But most of us are reactive to what happens around us. They're not necessarily having the intentionality to curate the tools we have as a leader and seeking out opportunities for growth and for feedback. At our leadership center, we have a whole website right now of the world's first leader behavior encyclopedia, where if you wanted to say, work on your inclusion skills, because you realize a diverse organizational workforce is more important now than ever, and you know you may not have the perfect set of tools yet for inclusion, you can go search on our website and we have curated all the academic articles on inclusion um, and then given behavioral experiments you could do. So for example, there is one study showing that if you just got more sleep as a leader, which we often don't, you actually are kinder to your team that day. You're more nuanced, you're more patient, and the team is more inclusive and actually has more innovative outcomes. And so simple little behavioral tricks like that can make a huge difference in your toolkit as a leader. And so I'd really encourage leaders, whatever the source of their idea for experiments and whether it's going to sainer.edu and looking at our encyclopedia or getting feedback from your team. And I really appreciated that point that was raised because one of the best ways for leaders to grow is to ask feedback from those around them, including the people that report into them. Some of the most powerful experiments that I think I've gotten have come from my direct reports. You know, from my team, for example, we were very hierarchical for a while. I, there was like four layers of hierarchy within our team and I was a boss's the boss, boss's boss's boss. 
And so whenever I would give an idea on my team, it could sometimes be seen as always a directive over the, the big boss is saying that we got to do this. And so at one point in one of our 360 feedback sessions, which I highly recommend for leaders who want to really accelerate their growth with their team, I had a, a teammate say, hey, Lindy, it'd be really nice whenever you give an opinion. I know you say that you don't think that we have to do it. That's just an idea. But if you could somehow remind us. And so we came up with a joke of whenever I'm sharing an opinion, which is just take it or leave it, I'll do hashtag input. Versus if it's really bosses have, which is maybe only 1% of the time, I will say so. Hey, this is actually coming because I have pressure from our dean that we got to go do this. But all the rest of the time, when I'm just giving a fun idea for brainstorming, I will actually say or write hashtag input to really remind the team of, hey, this is just me as a human being with an idea. This is not coming from the perspective of the hierarchy. And the idea came from someone who was reporting into me. And so whatever your source of ideas for experiments, whether it's direct reports, peers, leadership development programs, um, following social media for tips of behaviors from places like Michigan, keep doing it and trying to find a chance every week to find a new experiment so that when the world changes again, you have those tools polished. I used to do a lot of work in the startup world when I lived in Silicon Valley and have some of the best venture capitalists come into my startup class to talk about what made for a great startup founder or leader. And to both of your points, it was very interesting. The number one word they used was they were voracious learners. And if you watch some of the great CEOs who really gone to take some of the companies that run our world now, like say Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, when he started out, was limited in his tools as a leader. You know, just as one example, his public speaking. If you saw him publicly speaking when he was 23 versus now, night and day different, right? He really invested in learning that tool in order to be a more effective leader. And he shares publicly a lot of his learning campaigns of whatever he's doing this year to develop himself. And not only does that make him more adaptive, it sends a really strong signal to the rest of his organization to help his teams and the organization realize that's a value of our organization is learning and growth and experimentation. So as the world keeps changing, being able to change with it and by being intentional in advance of how you're going to be developing those tools, I think is really important. So let me ask you then, Lindy, in this case, how do you balance that out? Because you're providing a list of great tools like daily experimenting and uh, inclusion and flexibility. So how do you balance it out with some of the announcements we're seeing with mega blue chip companies in banking and retail? And they're saying that by the end of the year, it's going to be 97% or 99% in office work, and we're going to go back to normal. And you feel like there is a push for a, a forced entry back into normal. So if you want it to be in that position where you want that have, where you want to have these tools, and then at the same time, you have to balance the fact that you are being forced to go back into the old normal. How would you balance between these two things? I mean, how do you balance autocracy in a way with democracy? <laughs> There's a couple of things embedded in that. So one is just the, the behavioral experimentation will serve you in person too. I mean, I don't know about for you all, but my first few meetings I was in, when I was back in person again were terribly awkward. You know, we, if you don't use tools, you lose tools. And so the ability to make eye contact in meetings, like we were laughing about in our team, but it felt uncomfortable. And like some of our team members, like have forgotten how to have eye contact when you talk to someone. And so that ability to keep experimenting or reminding yourself of, wait, what are the tools that actually need for in-person interaction, in-person meetings? It's important to stay experimenting to stay growing. That being said, it's been very overwhelming for people. I noticed certainly with our students right now, that once you go back to full in person, we're exhausted emotionally because we're having to use all sorts of tools we haven't used in a while. And it's very exciting to see all our colleagues in person. At the same time, it's also very overwhelming. 
And so capacity for self-care, I think is really important. Something we don't talk about enough in terms of leadership and how we run our organizations and preventing burnout of how do we ensure that people have the tools to monitor their own emotional well-being, So they're able then to have the intentionality, the bandwidth emotionally to do experiments and to be adaptive. If they're just exhausted after full day of person interactions, they're not going to be the best person version of themselves the next day. So how do you encourage things like working out, seeing family, seeking social support? At the University of Michigan, now we have a new Slack channel for the whole university about wellness. And I'm actually kind of loving it because like probably every hour, it, it reminds me that I need to do something for myself in terms of health. And it's been a good nudge to make me try to focus more on that, to have the self-care I need in order to be able to be intentional and calm and seek growth, even as we go back to in-person work. And the question about how companies are deciding to go back in person is a whole nother question about <laughs> hierarchy, leadership, and all of that. I think there's been... Because of the pandemic, decisions had to be made so quickly. I think it pushed some leaders into more authoritarian ways of governing their organization. And now that necessarily, it may not be as urgent. It's not like there's a pandemic in which we have to go remote now, but it's more of a, let's understand the environment and make a well-informed decision. I think leaders have maybe not used the muscle as much lately over how do I get buy-in for a decision? How do I get the right input? How do I make the decision at the right time? Because in the last year and a half, there's so much urgency. They didn't necessarily have that luxury. But now when there is a little bit more luxury, say, hey, let's stop and think. Let's look around us. Let's get opinions about this. And let's make sure we have buy-in before we take a big decision. I think that's gone wrong in a whole lot of companies lately as they're making some of the decisions about vaccine mandates, back-in-person work of just not bringing the whole company with you as you make those types of decisions. So again, yet another leadership tool, if you don't use it, you lose it. And that was a tool before the pandemic that was standard to most leaders. Over if I'm going to make a big company-wide decision, I need to cultivate buy-in. And how do I do that? And I think it'll be a good reminder after some of the reactants we've seen within companies to those types of decisions lately, that leaders do need to exhibit to the words earlier, transformational leadership and the ability to communicate a vision that brings people along with it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely explains how we can balance it out. So it's, it's a combination of the old tools with the new tools and, and having that combination. I like the way you say it. We should not lose tools. We should actually pick them up. This is going to be an interesting perspective because I've seen, we can look at it from two different ways. One is from a corporate company driven policies and another one from a research perspective at the leadership center. So uh, between the two perspectives, I really want to put a topic for discussion, which is how do we get prepared for what Najib called, let's say, another black swan events? Because today what all the discussions are happening in terms of uh, daily experimenting and these tools are to manage daily basis to adapt. But should the another black swan event happen, are there any different ways of preparing Najib. So now that you know what you know today, how are you going to, do you have a backup plan? Do you have a side plan? And uh, Lindy, knowing what you know today, where are you going to take the research? And do we have an overlap? Is the research going to really map to what the corporate track is going through or are they going to start to diverge? So there isn't an answer to it, but I, I would like to really ask that question so that we can trigger that thought. So Jay, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the reality for me is that you know, if there is another Black Swan event uh, like this, I mean, hopefully it's not going to happen 
soon enough, even though now we're, we're, we're trained to, to take on this. But really, I mean, it goes back into, there is no uh, playbook than the, this whole leadership playbook that Lindy uh, talked about uh, earlier. I mean, agility is extremely important. The, the fact that we can experiment, we can try things, we have that flexibility in the organization to try different things. I would tell you, for example, we're, we're a company that really have been debating for a long while the whole concept of work from home. But because of what happened with, with COVID, we had to do it. It's the best experiment we'd ever done is, is to try it out and see, you know, mass, a, a massive organization that had to go work from home and continue to work um, and be productive. Of course, there is a number of elements within our organization. We're on operation, we're, on, we're in the service industry. And of course, we have people to, that need to be physical crew on airplanes and then and then stuff at the airports, etc. But for a good portion of us, we could work from home and be productive. I think th this has been debated for a long while and then have been accelerated through COVID. Same thing with some of the digital engagement uh, with our members, uh, with a loyalty program. We've accelerated the number of projects that before were again on a back burner or we didn't have you know didn't have the priority that the COVID situation pushed us to accelerate certain things. So the, you know, the situation has helped us again, you know, re, reprioritize very quickly. And the key goes back to this whole agility piece. It's like, how can an organization very quickly analyze the situation, uh, try to recover uh, from it? By the way, we've done a number of scenario pl uh, planning uh, uh, sessions. Uh, all the scenarios were thrown after, after two, three months. I mean, we're really, our business was pending all the border restriction and et cetera, that, that you know, all the scenarios we put in. But it was good to do the scenario planning because that brought teams, diverse teams together, thinking through all the possibilities. And then, you know what, some of them uh, materialized, others didn't. But for us, it was important to, to bring that diversity. Again, one more thing that happened through COVID is that we broke certain walls, certain silos. We had to come together as one because it was like, okay, you know, we, we had to. I mean, that's the only way for us to recover from the situation. So there were few things that as an organization, we learned through this that we probably will take uh, to the next uh, event if it, uh, God forbid, it, if, if it ever happens. Yeah, but key to it again is this whole agility. And I mean, Jay, you, you, you know this from, from our past interactions. I mean, I've, I've started the whole transformation of the loyalty program here at, at MRS. And as I mentioned, few things got accelerated through the, uh, the pandemic. The reality is I haven't changed the end goal that I set for my teams. What I've changed are the tactics and the priorities, if you will. So we're changing the path in some way on how to achieve this ambitious goal that we have collectively put uh, on ourselves. So it's sometimes, you know, you've got to stay tactical. You've got to stay agile. You have to stay responsive. You have to stay flexible. I like what Lindy talked about the experimenting. You've got to test and learn because you don't have the answers again. I mean, that whole agility of the mind is extremely important, I think, to address any of those events that could come and hit us. And by some predictions, there will be more events coming in. You know, that we've got big topics, by the way, like, like sustainability that uh, emerged as well as, as important ones. Uh, the work-life balance, we've been talking about it for so long. Now it, it kind of became a reality in somewhat. We were experimenting with work-life balance, all of us, right? Like at the individual level, forget putting policies together. For me, you know, there's a blessing somewhat, or there's, you know, like Churchill said, never waste a good crisis. <laughs> in this case, we were, we, we put ourselves to the test. <laughs>
Yeah, that's true. So basically, I mean, Najib, you mentioned something that caught my attention, which is uh, we change the tactics, but not the objectives. So Lindy, do you see that really apply or do you see a twist to that statement? No, I would think that definitely applies over the goal of an organization to deliver value to its shareholders doesn't change. You know, maybe there's a little bit of a broadening of that now as we acknowledge more issues around DEI, sustainability, et cetera, to look more at the triple bottom line. But at the end of the day, you are still achieving those eternal organizational goals, if you will. But the tactics to get there are more varied. And I, I love the phrase of don't lose advantage of a good crisis from Churchill because it's so important. Because I think the skills that companies learned during this crisis will carry them through the next one. In a sense, this crisis offered an amazing opportunity for companies to get very intentional about how they do adapt, how they are agile. And the skills for agility, adaptability, and crisis management apply to most types of crises because the skills are not a playbook for specifically how do you apply to a pandemic. The skills are how do you deal when the world changes? How do you stay flexible in your mind, which is also a phrase of the Jews I love. There's actually really cool research in neuroscience showing that you can train your brain to be more flexible. And so then if the world comes at you with, okay, we're now going to do um, not just remote work, but all of us have to go live in Antarctica, your brain can handle such a blow because you've trained it every day to be flexible. And so, for example, there's neuroscience work showing that if you alternate what shoe you put on first in the morning, it makes your neural circuitry more flexible. But most of us get into so many ruts of you always do brush your teeth with maybe your right hand or your left hand, depending on what hand is more natural to you. You always put one shoe on first and all these little patterns that we do makes our brain more rigid. And the more that you intentionally get out of your comfort zone to try new things, talk to new people, try behavioral experiments at work, it keeps your brain and the circuitry in it more agile. It takes about two years to rewrite neural circuitry. So we're about six months away from having all of us rewrite in our brains to be more agile. And so I hope that work then will bear us well in the next time that we do have a black swan event. Well, I think this is a good combination, which is we change the tactics, but not the objectives. So we tactics meet the end goal of the objectives. But at the same time, I think you would need then the tools to rewire the neural circuits of the team members that you have. So that combination of training with or training for flexibility, I like that. And the tactics achieving the end objectives is really that combination is what's going to get us out in a sane way. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, we're almost uh, running out of time, but I, I really wanted to wrap up with a couple of minutes uh, from each one of you. We focused a lot on the messaging for how existing leaders can be agile or can have the tools to improve and, and maneuver. What would be your message for emerging leaders that have lived through this and now they are in a leadership phase? What would be your wrap up and a uh, single message for them? Lindy, if you want. To, to learn how to adapt as a leader, to be intentional about acquiring different skills the tools that you might need when you're leading your first team might look a little bit different than when you're leading a large organization, but the principles of learning those skills is the same over how do you build a feedback mechanisms to your life, especially as an emerging leader, whenever we do something for the first time, we're always going to be a little bit more coarse, a little bit more awkward at it. And especially when you're emerging as a leader, getting your own team to manage, for example, you really need to make sure you have good mentors that you've developed. Mentors don't just fall in your lap. Usually they come from you intentionally cultivating relationships with those above you and around you. And so making sure that as you start to lead your own team, you have feedback mechanisms above and on the side. And that also within your team, you're doing things like 360s to get feedback 
And then when people give you feedback, again, it's a gift <laughs> and doing your best to remember that whenever you do get ideas, because those are just ideas for new experiments to run. It's not personal, your toolkit. It's something that's just a set of tools in front of you that don't define your identity. And the more you can get feedback on what tools you have or don't have, or tools you can improve, the better you're gonna be and the faster you'll go up the organization. I love the point that we started off with about the power of humility during crisis. And what I often find is interesting is the higher up you go in the hierarchy, the more humble the leader. And you think it should be the opposite, right? Because higher up in the hierarchy, the leaders have more tools. But instead, the leaders at that level have learned humility is also a tool and one that's really important to know what you don't know. And what I often find with emerging leaders is you don't know what you don't know, right? And so you don't, you don't understand all the many tools you're going to need as you go up and or the power of humility. And so if you are starting to manage your own team, really looking for the things that you don't know about leadership and getting feedback on what you are doing and showing humility as you go and gratitude for those around you that are going to help accelerate your growth. Najib, what's your thought? I agree with, with Lindy um, um, as well. I, I would put it in my own words, if you, if you allow me, actually two years ago, just before COVID hit, I was asked about the traits of leadership for, you know, for transformative leaders, okay? Because as, as I mentioned, I, I worked on a transformation myself. I've got a number of, of positions even before uh, where I've, I've led transformation. And I mentioned three things uh, that you'll see have, have a lot in common with, with what Lindy just said. So I used these words. I said, you know, a leader needs, needs to continue to be an apprentice. It goes back to this humility. So an apprentice open to listen, learn, uh, and develop. Because as I said, you know, we're got it, getting into this VUCA world, which, by the way, started before. This whole VUCA world started before the pandemic, right? Like we always talk about it. Um, because I think complacency and arrogance are the recipe for failure. So that goes back to this humility and continuing to be an apprentice and learning from others and learning, learning from colleagues, learning from teams, learning through tools, et cetera. The second one is I call a, a fusionist from the word fusion. And there are two aspects to fusion. One is working with a diverse set of partners. Again, the power of the network. Uh, again, people who do not like, uh, look like you, people from other verticals, other industries, that power of partnership is extremely important. But fusion as well as a catalyst working with diverse teams. I mean, Lindy just talks about the importance of inclusiveness, et cetera. We just say diversity you know, from an ethnicity perspective, but also diversity from backgrounds. And, and I'm really, when I look at my team today, I look at people who do not have one skill set, uh, but, but multiple skill sets and actually have teams that have these different skill sets that can come together because I think from that fusion, comes really the next idea, et cetera. So a leader needs to be a fusionist, somebody who is a catalyst to bring all these ideas, either from partners or from, from diverse teams together. And the third thing, which is extremely important, again, is that a leader needs to be an amplifier of an amplifier of talent. So not a diminisher of talent, but an amplifier. You nurture people, uh, you nurture talent, you help it blossom, you act as a multiplier and not as, as a diminisher. It's very important. And again, goes back to it. Lindy was talking about is that, you know, you're the boss and people are expecting you to give directives. Uh, no, you want to empower people to speak and then uh, you want to be part of the solution and not the one who's dictating what the solution uh, is as well. So fusionist apprentices and amplifiers. And I just finished by saying, you know, I, the one thing I, I truly believe in as a leader is our true legacy. Like as parents, our real true legacy are the kids, are our kids that, that we groom and develop. Our true legacy as, as leaders for today 
uh, is that we groom through coaching and training the next generation of leaders that are going to take the next challenges that are coming and, and hitting us tomorrow. Professor Lindy, Dr. Najib, really, I want to thank you a lot for these insights. They're great insights and they're very valuable. Uh, I'm sure that our listeners are going to use them as tips to get started towards one of these elements that, that you shared with us. So thank you again for being our guest today and thanks to our listeners. And until next time.